Well, Jude just leaned over and said to me, Dad, are you going to have a short sermon today? <laughs> I said, why? He said, well, you know, because they already talked. Are you going to have a short sermon? And I said, it'll be a little bit shorter. And he said, like 15 minutes? I said, oh, give me 20, okay, plus. We're going to continue our, our series on Acts. And like I said, it's this, this book about the spread of the gospel throughout the world and how the gospel changes our perspective, starting with Saul on the road to Damascus, how his eyes were made new and he would never see things the same again because of his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I love this story, how it shows how the gospel is not constrained by geography. It's not contained by politics or any governmental powers with the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, or with the Roman authorities and the governors and the provinces. No, it spreads regardless throughout the world. It gives me hope here for Woodmont Baptist Church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the work that we are doing here because we are advancing the kingdom of God. That's the work that he's called us to do. And, you know, Acts is this great narrative. It's these stories, but about a third of the text in Acts is, you know, Dr. Luke, as he's writing this, about a third of all the texts in Acts are speeches that Luke records that are given in, in the book of Acts by the different apostles. And there's ten major speeches in the book of Acts, and six of these are given by Paul. And three of the, his speeches are defense speeches. We're going to look at one of those next Sunday. But what we're looking at today is one of his other three speeches, which are evangelistic kinds of sermons that he's giving. And it's really cool the way that, that Luke uh, divides these sermons up the, the first evangelistic speech that Paul gives is in the context of his first missionary journey, and it's given to a Gentile audience, to pagans, like we looked at the first Sunday in Lystra. And then the second speech is from his second missionary journey, and it's given to Jewish listeners, to Jewish uh, hearers. Today we're going to look at the third speech that he gives in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35, if you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 20. And this speech was given during his third missionary journey. And it's not given to Gentiles. It's not given to Jews. This is the only speech in the book of Acts that's given to Christians, to believers like you and me. If you're a believer here today, and I hope you are. If not, we'll have an invitation at the end of the service. You'll see that each of these speeches are very different because Paul's adapting what he says for his audience, much as a missionary has to do. And, and here in this text that we're looking at today, we don't have Paul the evangelist trying to convert people. We don't have Paul the defendant trying to defend his ministry, pleading for his life before King Agrippa like we're going to look at next week. Here we have Paul the pastor. We have Paul the shepherd who's guiding the leaders of one of his many flocks. These are his spiritual children that he's speaking to in a very precious pastoral kind of way. I love this text. Let's get some context. During his third missionary journey, we have a picture of it here. I know you can't see it. It's really small. My wife said, they can't see any of that, but you'll at least see the water and the land, right? Okay. He starts in Antioch up at the top there in Syria. That's where he, it's kind of his home base of operations. And he travels, again, going west through 
uh, Asia Minor, and he hits Derby and Lystra and Iconium uh, again, where he went on his first missionary journey. But he really spends most of his time in Ephesus. Ephesus is on the far west coast there, that pink region where it says Asia. That's Asia Minor. And Ephesus was this really pagan port city, 300,000 people. They had one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana, Artemis uh, in, Greek, in Greek. This was a, an amazingly cosmopolitan city. It was like New York City, but very, very pagan. And there he visited the church that he had planted, and he stayed for three years on this journey. It's not really a mission trip. It's kind of a journey because he stays there for three years. And he's hanging out with his friends like Aquila and Priscilla who are, are doing the Lord's work in Ephesus and seeing amazing things happen. And it's not easy, but it, it's very exciting work, and he loves the people in Ephesus. But Paul's never one to rest on his laurels, right? He's never one to get comfortable and just stay where he is in Ephesus. So he knows that he must continue on westerly to go visit the churches in Macedonia, which is Greece, where he planted those churches during his second missionary journey. So he, he eventually says a, a, a tearful goodbye to his friends in Ephesus, knowing that he probably will never see them again. And he leaves and goes west to visit the churches in Greece, where he had planted. But he knows the whole time that the end of this journey must be in Jerusalem. He's got to go back to where this whole Jesus way started where Jesus was crucified and was resurrected in Jerusalem. He's got to go there and visit the, the church there and the believers and confront the Jewish authorities. So that's where he's heading. And on his return trip on the way to Jerusalem, he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, he's going to stay forever, so he doesn't want to go to Ephesus. And he bypasses it, and he goes south to a little town called Miletus. Miletus is about 20 miles south of Ephesus. And he wants to see the Ephesian elders the Ephesian uh, heads of the church who he had established. So look at verse 17 in chapter 20. He says, it says, Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, which is only 20 miles north, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. The elders are described in the New Testament in several places, different books in the New Testament. They're described as shepherds. They're the ones who are responsible in the church with, with feeding the flock, with caring for the, the sheep of God's people. The, the same word for elders is often the same word that's used for pastor. Shepherd, you know, pastor means, y'all know that in Spanish, right? Okay, thanks, Mitch, good. <laughs> it's shepherd. And it's an incredibly daunting and, and humbling and exciting thing to be called pastor. Isn't it, Mitch? <laughs> Mitch called me pastor the whole time in Guatemala City. Pastor. And yesterday, I was, I was back at Forest Hills for a wedding, and people said, Pastor. Pastor Nathan. And it was so humbling to hear that. It's, it, it's such a, a great privilege and, and responsibility, an exciting thing to be a pastor. And these are the shepherds of the church in Ephesus who have come down now to visit with Paul, the one who is their spiritual father in many ways. So the way that Luke divides this speech from Paul to the elders is he, he puts it in three sections. The first four verses, he talks about his past ministry in Ephesus. And then the next six verses, he talks about the present state of things. And then the final eight verses, he talks about the future of the church in Ephesus and, and where they're headed. 
I like that model for us here at Woodmont. We're an established church. Some would call it a flagship church, right? 76 years of history here on this corner in this wonderful city of Nashville. I like this idea of celebrating our amazing heritage and our legacy in the past. If you haven't been to our heritage room, you need to go. It's incredible to see what the Lord's done here over the years. But we also need to be fully invested in the present, right? We need to be fully engaged in what God's doing here now in this place. And we also need to be ever mindful of the future, Where is God taking Woodmont the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 30 years down the road? What's our future? Who is God calling us to be down the road? It's a good model. Look at the first section, the past, verse 18. When they came to him, the elders, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Nathan, Joanna, Mitch, Amanda, you know there's tears and trials involved in the work that you're engaged in. How I did not shrink, though, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out by reminding these elders what it looks like to be a shepherd. What does it really look like to be a pastor? He reminds them of of how he did it. He says, look, you saw how I did it. How from day one I jumped in with both feet to the work that the Lord had for me. I was a servant of the Lord, not a servant of any human master, but always serving the Lord. You see the way that Paul understood this whole Christian life was that if Jesus Christ has paid the price for us, if he has redeemed us, if he has bought us with his precious blood, then we no longer belong to ourselves. We are bond servants. He he says in Greek, doulos. It's, It's really the word means slave. It means we belong to the Lord now. Our life is not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, right? We belong to the Lord. He's paid a great price for us. That's the way Paul understood his whole life. And the the cool thing that Paul's saying here is that when you understand that you are a slave to God, then you are truly free indeed. And when you can give your life away, you will find it. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 39. And the truth is, all of us are slaves to something. We were wired to, to, to give our loyalty, to give our worship to something The only way to truly be free, then, is to be a slave to the one who has bought you in order to make you free. Then you will be free indeed, Jesus says. And Paul says that the redeemed life, it's not easy. It's not all, you know, gumdrops and jelly beans. There are tears. There are trials. It's hard when you serve the Lord in humility. Paul showed them, though, how to endure all those things in that humble way, because humility is not a weakness. Humility is a tool that reminds us that we are not God, but that God is God, that we have an unexhaustible wealth of resources in the Holy Spirit who indwells us, that we are always connected to the power of God in us. Humility reminds us of that. And then he moves to the present. Look at verse 22. And now... 
presently, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I'm going, not knowing. Going and not knowing. That phrase has always stuck with me ever since we had a former youth from our, our youth group in Birmingham who went as a missionary and put that verse on a prayer card. It was on our fridge for many months. Behold, I am going, not knowing what I will find when I get there. The life that Paul lived was really, truly exemplified by this phrase, going, not knowing. Everywhere he went, strongly compelled by the Holy Spirit, not because of his own ambition or desire, but by the Holy Spirit, he didn't know what he was going to find there. But you know, that's the life of faith for all of us, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that in the Christian life, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? As God's people, we we live our lives differently from people around us. We operate from a foundational standpoint that's totally different than the culture around us. Our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not only of our own lives, but as Lord and Savior of the universe, means that we have to function in a very different way than what the culture says we should function. The culture says you operate by what you can perceive, by what you can see, by what you can taste, touch, feel, or smell. But we say, no, we have a higher reality that we believe is both a far truer reality, it's actually a realer reality, and it's a far better reality than what we can merely perceive with our senses. Therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. So what is faith? Well, the the writer of Hebrews spells it out for us. Hebrews 11.1 says clearly, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if we live our lives in, in this way, where we are constantly trusting in our hope that God is who He says He is, if we're following our, our deep conviction in our guts that, that God will do what He says He will do, that the, the invisible God is indeed the sovereign Lord of all creation who orders every molecule according to His good purposes and for His glory, then we also, like Paul, will be constantly going not knowing what will happen to us. So, once again, we're walking by faith and not by sight, and Paul is showing us how to do that. He's going, not knowing what the journey holds, except that it's going to be hard. You know that when you go to Europe or when you go back to Guatemala, it's not easy, right? Look at verse 23. Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How many of you would just say, okay, I'm not going to do that? (laughs) Paul says, I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) I'm going to get beat. But, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Prison, beatings, trials, 
accusations. It's all going to be part of it. But what does it matter if my life is, is snuffed out like a wick as long as God's kingdom is breaking into our fallen world? What does it matter if, if God, the true God of the universe, is actually redeeming lost souls back into Himself for eternity? So what does this little earthly, tiny, short, brief existence matter if eternity is being affected forever? You know, in a, a letter to the Philippian church, Paul brags about his upbringing in a very sophisticated Jewish family, a leading Jewish family in Tarsus in Asia Minor. He brags about how his, his, credi his credibility and his pedigrees were of the utmost. He'd studied with Gamaliel, the leading rabbi in Jerusalem of that era. He had closely, meticulously followed all the Jewish laws. But then he writes in verse 7, chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Nothing was more precious to Paul. Not his own life, not his own credibility, not his own reputation. Nothing was more precious to him than Jesus Christ, his Lord. And knowing him as Lord made everything else pale in comparison. It was all just rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. Keep going, verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is a farewell address. Paul had been ministering to these churches around the Ephesus area for the last seven or eight years, but he, his plan now, he's clearly compelled by the Lord. He says in Romans, he wants to go to, if he gets out of Jerusalem alive, which chances are slim, but if he does get out of Jerusalem alive, he wants to go to Rome, the center of the world. He wants to, to see God's kingdom advance in the most important city in the world. And then, he wants to go to Spain, which is the end of the earth. It's about as far west as you could possibly go at that time. He wants to, go, to absolutely live out what Acts 1.8 says, to the ends of the earth he will witness to the grace and the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Paul's confident that he's done what God's called him to do in, in Ephesus. He's already finished that mission. Keep reading, verse 26. Therefore I testify to you that this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I, I taught you everything. If somebody rejected it, it's not because I left something out. I told you the whole counsel of God. You know, I think it's easy for most of us as Christians to just focus on the, the parts of Christianity that we really like. The parts that we're really fired up about. Our pet causes, right? Our, our own little passions that we get fired up about in Scripture. But Paul says here we, we must be faithful to proclaim the whole counsel of God, even those really tricky bits that are not so fun to talk about in Scripture. We talked about that some on Wednesday night as part of our study onward. And Russell Moore challenged us in that study to when we talk about the sanctity and the dignity of human life, we can't just stop with speaking up for the unborn. Yes, that's part of our job, but we also must speak up for those who are poor and powerless, those who have been pushed to the margins 
of our society. We can't avoid the hard issues, can we? Because we're called to lovingly and graciously speak truth into the world. That's our sermon for next week. Consider the whole counsel of God then. Let us walk by faith, not knowing necessarily what will happen, but always holding on to both God's grace and God's truth at the same time without letting go of either of them. We need both grace and truth, and they're found in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 28. Paul closes his farewell speech with a warning about the future. Now here's the future. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. These elders, these pastors, these overseers have a great responsibility to tend the precious flock of God because they have been bought with a great price and they are precious to God. Keep going. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. He implored them about the truth of the gospel with tears because it was hard to do it in a, in a, in a countercultural way. Be alert, he says, because there are outside dangers and there are also dangers within. The outside wolves are the, the false teachers, right? Who will come into the church from the outside. And they will have these subtle lies, but they will ravage the church with drastic consequences if you believe those lies. Then also, he says, watch out for the people among you, for ego-centered, power-hungry, controlling types in your own body. That never happens in church, right? <laughs> I heard an old preacher say one time, church work isn't always the Lord's work. <laughs> I hope that we're always about the Lord's work here at Woodmont. How do you know the difference? How can the Ephesian elders do the Lord's work in their church if, if Paul, their spiritual father, is leaving them? Well, he, he tells them, verse 32, since I'm leaving, now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, who are made holy as they pursue Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, you don't need me. I commend you to God Himself. You have direct access to Him now through Jesus Christ, His Son. It's called prayer. I commend you to pray to, to convene with the Lord Almighty in prayer. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who gives you direct access to God the Father. Approach the throne of mercy now with confidence. Draw near and pour out your requests with Him. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And then he says, I also commend you to God's Word. God hasn't left us to figure this out for ourselves, right? He's given us His written revelation we don't have to just discern what he's doing. We also can follow his prescripts here in Scripture, in Holy Scripture. If we commit ourselves to study it, to live it out, and then to teach it to others, then we will walk into God's ways. There really are two things that I know God always honors in his church, right? Prayer and Holy Scripture. If we will elevate those, 
in this church, we will be doing well. Keep going, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul was a tent maker. He, he, he made tents to support his ministry. Verse 35, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't have those words in the Gospels, but we have them here in Acts from Paul's recollections. Once again, Paul's urging the elders to consider the example that he set for them, reminding them that taking care of God's people cannot be motivated by any kind of worldly or material gain. It must be an act of faith. Pastoring is a spiritual endeavor. It has to be done in faith. And God will provide for you. Just make sure you provide for others. He says, take care of others. God will take care of you. You know, the more we learn to give ourselves away for the sake of the Gospel, the more we will be blessed. It's better to give than to receive. We're trying to teach that to our children. It's not easy. (laughs) The more that we give ourselves away, the more we're going to flourish. The more we're going to thrive into who God made us to be as we pour out ourselves into others. You know, I was talking to someone in our church here about serving in the church. We have lots of needs in our church right now. Lots of volunteer needs in preschool, children's ministry, uh, in you know, food pantry, all kinds of places where we need people to volunteer, TV ministry. And, and if, if you're just coming to church and getting poured into, it's not really church. And when you're pouring out into others, then it becomes church. I encourage you to pray about where the Lord can use you to pour out into others at this place and beyond. Verse 36, when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You know, Paul's life serves today for all of us as an example. A life of service, humbly poured out on the ground as an offering, he says. Let us give ourselves away as as slaves of Jesus Christ. Bondservants who have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Going wherever He compels us to go, not knowing what we'll find there. Walking by faith and not by sight. Proclaiming the whole counsel of God, not just the parts that we like. Proclaiming that to a world that desperately needs it. The Spirit might be leading you today into a new endeavor. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's a new ministry like serving with a TV crew. You say, I could do that. Maybe it's working in the preschool. Maybe it's a a new ministry that God's going to give you of teaching Sunday school to children at Woodmont Baptist Church. Maybe it's a new friendship that you're being called to pursue with your crazy neighbor like we did with our neighbors. It's been amazing not always clean and easy, but it's, it's wonderful. Maybe the Lord's leading in you to a new city, a, a, new, a new country to go to, like the Michaels. I can't imagine the act of faith that the Munozes followed when they moved to Guatemala to plant a church in the country there. Paul says in Galatians 2, chapter, 20, chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Will you follow the Christ who loves you and gave Himself for you, going not knowing where it is that that He will lead you, knowing that it will be hard, but it will be the best life you could possibly imagine? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the example that we have of the Apostle Paul in Holy Scripture. We thank you for the the humble ministry that he had in Ephesus where he poured out his life for others, boldly proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to learn to give ourselves away for the sake of the Gospel. Help us to learn that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to believe that in our hearts, to be convicted, and then to live by that conviction. Help us to to trust more as we obey You. Help us to follow wherever You lead, not knowing what we'll find there, but trusting You to provide for us as we provide for others around us. Help us to give sacrificially of our time, our talents, and our treasure. Help us to boldly pursue whatever it is that you have for us. It's scary, God, for many of us to live that way. But I pray that as we step out in faith, that you will show up time and time again, as you always do, providing for us in miraculous and wonderful ways as we learn to trust you more and to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your high and holy name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At this time, we're going to have a time of invitation and response. Whatever the Lord's calling you to today, maybe you're, you're feeling called to go and you don't know what it's going to look like. That's okay. That's a good place to be. It's scary, but it's a good place to be. Maybe some of you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. I would love to talk with you about that. My son came forward last week and made his public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've, you've professed faith in Jesus Christ. You've never made it public. We'd love to talk with you about making that public. Here, we believe that's important. That's a good milestone. Maybe you've never been baptized and you want to follow Christ's example of being immersed in in water as a symbol of dying to your old self and being raised into a whole new kind of life. I'd love to talk with you about being baptized. Maybe you just want to pray about going somewhere not knowing what you're going to find. I'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe it's time for you to join Woodmont Baptist Church as, as a family of faith here doing life together. It's not always the Lord's work. Sometimes it's church work, but we invite you to be a part of it because we know that the body of Christ is precious because it's been redeemed by the blood of God. It's really important. So whatever it is you need to decide today, I'll be here up at the front ready to talk to you. I pray that you would come forward if you need to. Let's all stand and sing. Wherever he leads, I'll go.